All right, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be in verses 8 through 17 tonight. So we, all of us, at one time or another, will be called to do something that we do not want to do. It's just part of life. You live long enough, the odds are that you will be called upon to do something or to endure something that if it were up to you, you would never desire to go through or experience. One of the clearest examples of this in my life was when I was 18 years old, and it was right after I had enlisted in the United States Navy. I was eager to get away from home, and I had decided that I was going to leave right after Christmas of 2000. So on December 27th of 2000, I boarded an airplane at LAX, and I headed off. And that day when I left Southern California, if I remember right, the temperature was in the low 70s. Now, my basic training was in Great Lakes, Illinois. And when I landed in Chicago's O'Hare Airport that evening, the temperature was one degree <laughs> with a negative 28 degree wind chill, and it was snowing. I will never forget that season of my life. Let's just say that going through military basic training in northern Illinois in the dead of winter was a what in the world did I get myself into experience? <laughs> One of the duties I had during that time was to stand duty as a snow watch. Now, as a, a snow watch was like any other four-hour watch that you would stand in the military, except that this watch involved scraping and shoveling snow and ice that had accumulated on the huge steps of the entrance of our barracks. Then, once that task was completed, we were to scrape and shovel the snow and ice off the sidewalk that surrounded the perimeter of our barracks. Now, picture me a skinny, scrawny, lanky 18-year-old kid from L.A. who, except for the occasional trip to Big Bear or to Wrightwood, had never experienced a real winter. Picture that kid shoveling snow in sub-zero temperatures at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a pitiful scene. You're, you're, right, you're right to laugh. <laughs> that was not something that I wanted to do. When I signed my name on the dotted line and committed myself to a four-year enlistment in the United States Navy, shoveling snow in sub-zero temperatures in the middle of night is not what I wanted to do, nor was it something that I had signed up for, or so I thought. You see, one of the phrases that our recruit division commanders, our drill instructors, hammered into our head right away was, you ain't got to like it, you just got to do it. So I learned very quickly that as a United States sailor, there would be times when I would be called to do things. I'd be called to endure things that I did not want to. And I was not only expected to do those things, but to do those things well. And as we continue our time today in 1 Peter, we're going to hear a similar call 
being echoed in Peter's words to first century Christians scattered in churches in regions that were hostile to Jesus and hostile to his people. People who, though residing in their homeland, have now for their faith in Christ found themselves living as exiles in their own land. Christians who were facing a situation that they did not want to be in and who were called to do something that they were really not eager to do. Christians who were called to suffer for their faith in Christ. And not only were they called to suffer, but they were called to suffer well. See, Peter is writing to a group of, of Christians made up, made up of believers who are mostly Gentiles and who upon hearing the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ had turned away from the gods of their ancestors. They turned away from the gods of their culture and the gods of their friends and their family. And they turned to Jesus Christ. And in that very moment, as they were adopted as children of God the Father and given the status of co-heirs with Christ, they opened themselves up to the persecution that is promised to all those who follow Christ. Just as we learned from 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, that persecution may come in various forms and various degrees to the church, depending on when and where they live. But make no mistake about it. It will come. It will come to us because it is intrinsic to our calling as believers. If we are going to live lives transformed by Christ and his gospel in a world that rejects Christ and his gospel, then we will never fully fit in here. We will live like foreigners and aliens in this world. Exiles. Strangers in our own land. And that will bring attention to ourselves. So the issue is never if persecution and suffering will come. But only a matter of when it will come. And when persecution and suffering comes to the people of God, we are called to be a people who suffer well. But how does one suffer well? If we're honest with each other here tonight, nobody here wants to suffer. Nobody wants to endure persecution for their faith. When someone asks us to put a list together of the blessings that come with salvation and union with Christ, I'm pretty sure suffering and persecution don't top that list. But nevertheless, the passage we will read tonight and numerous other passages throughout Scripture tell us that suffering for our faith in Christ is a blessing. And I believe in order for us to see it as a blessing, we need to have a proper understanding of who our God is and exactly what he has called us to. Plain and simple, we must seek to look beyond our suffering and see the God who is sovereign over it. When persecution and suffering come for us, the only way to not retreat in fear is to put fear in its proper place. Could it be possible that the suffering and persecution that we experience due to our faith in Christ 
is actually being orchestrated by a kind and loving God who plans to bless us and others through it? So the big idea that I hope and I pray that you walk away with from here tonight is that when we have a biblical view, when we have a big view of Christ, we as Christians can not only endure and persevere through persecution and suffering, but we can be a blessing to those who persecute us and cause us suffering. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. When we have a biblical view of Christ, we as Christians can not only endure and persevere through persecution and suffering, but we can be a blessing to those who persecute us and cause us suffering. So let's look at our passage for this evening. We'll pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, reviling but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hears, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter begins this section with a call to unity, love, and humility within the body of Christ. He calls the church to deal with each other in a manner that displays sympathy, compassion, and understanding. Peter knows that in order for believers to be able to endure persecution from outside the church, the relationships of those inside the church must be healthy and rooted in love and selflessness. We all here are a family. And we all know that familial relationships can be hard. I have a tough enough time trying to get along with my birth family now I'm being told that I have to live in unity and love with people that I'm not even related to? On top of that, when I'm in the midst of suffering, my first inclination is to think about me. If I'm not careful, I'll allow my world to shrink down to the point where all I see and all I care about is me and my circumstances. I become selfish and unconcerned about what my brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. I can't see anything past my nose, and I become oblivious to the call of Christ in my life and the body of believers that he's called me to. Grace. We must understand that one of our greatest assets in the midst of persecution and suffering is each other. 
To have a brother or sister in the faith that you can lean on in the midst of unjust suffering is to receive a blessing from the Lord. To be that brother or sister that others run to in the midst of unjust persecution is to be a blessing to a fellow co-heir in Christ. Suffering well as a Christian begins by suffering well together as the church. It is in the context of the local church that we get to live out our calling as a people who have been redeemed by a holy God who has reconciled us to himself and reconciled us to each other. The walls of division that existed amongst us prior to salvation have been torn down. Hostilities toward one another have been overcome and have no place among the Lord's people. Grace, if we are going to suffer well together, we need a view of God that eclipses our circumstances and our situations. We must resolve to see each other as purposely placed in each other's lives by the Lord to be loved for and cared for to the glory of God. I was called to this church and you were called to this church with all our sin, all of our messiness, all of our quirks and hang-ups so that we could display the love, grace, and mercy of Christ to each other in a tangible way. And in the process, bring our triune God glory. And then as we, by the grace of God, to seek to live this way among each other as the church, we are enabled to live this way in relation to those outside the church. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Peter has just told a group of first century Christians that if any acts of evil are committed against them, or if they are slandered or ridiculed for their faith in Christ, do not respond in like manner. Okay, that's fine. I got you, Peter. No worries, I ain't going to pay attention to a single word they say. Even if they rough me up, I'm not going to let them get to me. I got a punching bag out home in the garage. I'll just go home and, you know, I'll hit the bag a few times and I'll take my frustration out on that. But that's not where Peter leaves it. He doesn't just say don't respond in the same manner. He says bless them. Be a blessing to them. What? Excuse me, Peter. It's one thing to shake off the unjust slander and hostility directed at, at me from non-believers. But now Peter's saying that I am, that we are to seek to bless them in return? That's what we've been called to, Grace. That is what every born-again believer in Christ has been called to. Whether you're a first century Christian or a 21st century Christian. Whether we're being fed to the lions in the Colosseum or we're being mocked for our faith by the family members sitting across from us at the Thanksgiving dinner table. We are called to bless those who persecute us and cause us suffering. 
But what does it mean to bless them? How do we bless those who persecute us? Well, I believe Jesus had something to say about that. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, Jesus himself says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Here, Jesus equates the doing good to and the blessing those who hate us and persecute us with praying for them. I love it. Jesus, when seeking to address behavior, starts at the heart. When we want to bless someone, particularly those who curse us, the most biblical response is to lift them up in prayer. You want to bless someone? Start by praying for them. Or John Piper says it like this. Prayer is the expression to God of what you long for. So blessing someone is not just the way you treat him. It includes the longings that you have for someone. And Jesus says they are to be longings for good, not longings for curse. That's what bless means. Bless them and pray for them. Pray for what? They're good. Now and forever. The word obtain at the end of verse 9 can be more accurately translated as inherit. And so to read the second half of verse 9 as for this you were called that you may inherit a blessing falls perfectly in line with what Peter refers to as the believer's inheritance in chapter 1. I'm sorry, falls perfectly in line with Peter's, what Peter refers to as the believer's inheritance in Christ in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 of this same book. That future inheritance, that future glory that has been won for us through the finished work of Christ, that blessing based solely on his performance and not ours is what we've been called to. That is the blessing that allows us to put our suffering into perspective. And we are called to intercede for those who persecute us. We are called to lift them up in prayer and ask the Lord to grant them repentance so that they can come to a knowledge of the truth of Christ and escape the judgment that awaits all those who reject him. When we consider our own condition before the Lord saved us, where were we? Where were you? I know where I was at. It wasn't a good place. There was no part of us, there was no part of me that saw Christ as lovely. I, we, rebels by nature. We hated him. We reviled him. And he has so unbelievably blessed us. What does it look like to suffer well in the midst of unjust suffering at the hands of our, en our enemies? It looks like a Christian down on their knees praying for and interceding for those who persecute us. 
It looks like us taking the names of family members, of neighbors and co-workers who mock us and slander us into our prayer closets and loving them so much that we plead for the Lord to save them so that they too can inherit Christ and enjoy Him forever. Then Peter quotes from Psalm 34 in verse 10. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter quotes Psalm 34 and he uses it to exhort his audience to live in a manner that is consistent with their faith and promotes peace with, people, with all people. Now we can never eliminate suffering for our union with Christ. That's going to be inevitable. But we can avoid suffering unnecessarily for our own sinful actions. The gospel is offensive in itself. We don't have to add to that offense by sinning against our neighbor. As Paul says in Romans 12.8, if possible, so far as it is dependent on you, live peaceably with all. As Christians, we seek to live in harmony with others in the context that God has placed us in. We speak the truth in love. We refuse to slander those who slander us. We bless those who curse us and we pursue peace because in doing so, we make life on this earth better, not just for us, but for all those around us. Now we know there are times that no matter how much we try to do good, we cannot avoid trouble. However, we have this reassurance in verse 12 that reminds us that for those of us that are in Christ, the Lord hears our prayers in times of persecution and suffering. He hears the prayers of the righteous. And if you're in Christ, you've been declared righteous, not because you are, but because Christ is. We do not need to take matters into our own hands. His ears are open to our prayers. And the same God that hears us when we cry out for help is the same God that opposes those who seek to do evil to us. He will see us through our suffering and he will deal with our enemies. That's what it means to have a, a biblical view, a big view of Christ in the midst of our suffering. This is the theme that runs all through this letter. We as Christians can not only endure and persevere through persecution and suffering, but we can be a blessing to those who persecute us and cause us suffering. Because we are a people who live in this world with eyes fixed on the glorious inheritance that awaits us. Now one of the biggest threats to suffering or the biggest threats to suffering well as a follower of Christ is fear. I don't care who you are or how long you've been a Christian. 
When you're in the midst of persecution or you see persecution coming for you, there isn't, there isn't an amount of fear that you will have to wrestle with. Whether you're a Christian in China and you and your family members are facing the threat of imprisonment or execution for your faith in Christ, or you're a believer here in California on the Central Coast, and you face the loss of a job or social shaming, fear is always ready to creep in and seize the believer in the weakest moment, in their weakest moment. Now, the remedy of fear in suffering is not to eliminate fear altogether, but to put fear in its proper place. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Paul starts off with a rhetorical question. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter's solution to the problem of fear and suffering is to have a proper view of Christ. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Truth is, there's only one who we should fear, and he's for us. When we trust in all that Christ has accomplished for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection, when we meditate and focus on the great inheritance that awaits us, when we realize that there's nothing or no one, there's nothing that anybody could do that can separate us from Christ and his love, how that spurs us on to stand boldly in the face of persecution and suffering. As we cast our eyes and our hearts upon the glory of Christ, everything else in our lives can be seen through a proper lens, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered lens. Christ grants us boldness as those around us call on us to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We can respond boldly and confidently because we know that our Savior reigns supreme and any affliction that seeks to touch us must first pass through his hands. And just because we respond with boldness doesn't mean that we can be harsh or mean-spirited. In fact, our hope and assurance leads us to engage with non-believers with gentleness and respect. You see, when I am liberated from the fear of men, I am freed up to bless those who persecute me. When I have a proper view of Christ, 
I am comforted by the truth that the only power that anybody can ever wield over me is only what the Lord has allowed them to have. So even if persecution and suffering come for me, it will be used ultimately for God's glory and for my good. This has Romans 8.28 written all over it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Did you catch that? All things are working for your good, Christian. The good things, the bad things, the joyous things, the painful things, the persecution things, the suffered things. God is at work for your good in the persecution that comes your way. Pastor Juan Sanchez, in commenting on this passage in 1 Peter, says it like this. This is the truth that we need to cling to, to sing, to memorize, to meditate upon. Who can really harm us if God will bless us? No one. What can they take away from us if God will bless us? Nothing. We will likely suffer as Christians in this world, but that suffering is slight and temporary compared to the eternal inheritance that awaits us. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we die and receive our promised inheritance. You want to suffer well as a Christian? Get yourself a biblical view, a big view of Christ and his gospel, and you'll begin to see things, all things in your life, as evidence of our triune God relentlessly working for your good. That is grace. That is unbelievable, unimaginable, incomprehensible grace. Don't even try to figure it out. Don't attempt to try to understand it or rationalize it. You won't. You can't. All you can do is be amazed by it and become transformed by it. That's the beauty of the gospel. Christ has not only redeemed fallen sinners in his life, death, and resurrection, but now he is redeeming every circumstance and every situation in, our li in the lives of his people. So rest assured, Christian, we serve a Savior who, in his earthly ministry, suffered well and used his suffering and the persecution directed at him as an opportunity to bless many. And now, as his people united to him by faith, we can confidently walk in the same manner as he empowers us and transforms us by that same grace. As we gaze upon the glory of Christ and cast our hope on the inheritance to come, the persecution and afflictions of this world get flipped on their heads and become means of blessing for us and for those around us. 
Let us pray. Father, your son, Jesus, he stepped down from his heavenly throne and entered into our world. He entered into our messiness. He was not revered. He was not commended by men. He was not honored as our creator. Rather, he was reviled. He was shamed. He was mocked and slandered by his own people. In the darkest moments of his incarnation, he was abandoned by those who were his friends and denied three times by one of those closest to him. However, in those painful moments of persecution and suffering, he did not waver in entrusting himself to a good father. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect obedience to the very end. Thank you for suffering well on our behalf and for our blessing. Lord, it's safe to say that we are so unlike you in so many ways. In the midst of our own persecution and suffering, we so easily forget your promise to us that you are with us and that you have not forsaken us. We fail to remember that you are the triune God of the universe and that you are sovereign over all things, and that includes our suffering. In light of our unfaithfulness, thank you, Jesus, for being faithful to the very end. Lord, help us to be faithful in every circumstance and every situation, trusting that you are at work for our good. Lord, should our hope in you bring us to a place of suffering Help us to suffer well and to be a blessing to those who curse us. This is, after all, what we have been called to. For your glory and our joy. In your glorious name we pray. Amen.